is the BearCast, presented by Bird Culture Ford. Bird Culture Ford has been in Waco since 1936. Ford is the number one selling truck in Texas, 43 years running. BearCast is also presented by WellMed Medical Management and USMD Health System Dallas. Here's Craig Smoke and Grayson Grundhafer. And welcome in everyone to the BearCast on Sikkim365.com, 365 Sports. Baylor Bears on Sikkim365 on YouTube. Hope you've had a good start to your week and... For Baylor Athletics, it was, you know, a notable week. It was a good week, but uh, certainly a week of goodbyes as well. Basketball season is officially over as the men's team and women's team now, both out of the NCAA tournaments, will be putting a, uh, I guess, an ending on the basketball seasons on this episode of the show. And also today, even though it's very dreary and kind of chilly and rainy outside, uh, you wouldn't know it by walking outside, but uh, you wouldn't know by the calendar. It is spring football time, day number one for Dave Aranda and his 2023 football team uh, begins today. They've obviously been in the weight room the last few weeks, carving out different things on the roster and coaching hires and all that has been taking place ever since they wrapped up last season. But now time to get back at it and time to start that journey towards a very interesting uh, 2023 in the Big 12. So we'll be covering both of those stories uh, on the show today. But I'm Craig Smoke, joined as always by Grayson Grunhafer. And Grayson, uh, are you the only person in America with a perfect bracket still, if that even is uh, such a thing at this point? Yeah, you know, if by perfect you mean having Purdue as your national champ and then oh. losing in the first round, yeah, it's a perfect bracket. Um, I mean, my other three teams in the Final Four are still there, so I guess that's good. But, uh, yeah, Purdue losing in the first round was uh, quite a shocker um, over the weekend. And, I mean, there's been a ton. I mean, Kansas losing in the second round, uh, Baylor losing in the second round, Arizona losing to Princeton. I mean, a lot of shocking results uh, so far in March Madness. And, Obviously, both Baylor programs are now out, so that kind of takes a lot of the the shine and a lot of my interests away from the NCAA tournament, sadly. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, to be expected. You watch, you know, just for the madness of it all, of course, and there's certainly been some of that and been some very entertaining games, but uh, you're really locked in when the team that you root for is a part of it. So for Baylor fans and for many other schools out there, uh, the field's been, you know, whittled down now, and unfortunately, no one's celebrating a Sweet 16 in Waco uh, this year. So uh, let's just start there and go ahead and put a cap on basketball. Uh, it'll be a very interesting offseason for both teams. I will say uh, for the women, uh, definitely a bit more, I think, confidence going into the offseason, given how they wrapped up for the men. I think a lot of question marks about what this team's even going to look like, uh, you know, next year when the ball gets rolled out there for their own preseason uh, practices. But uh, let's uh, let's get into this. You see Santa Barbara, they take care of business, get that first round win. That was great to see. You expected it, although. There was like a little bit of, hmm, UC Santa Barbara can do this or can do that, but I don't think anybody really got heavily on board. The Baylor's going to fall in the first round. Uh, they get past UC Santa Barbara, the Gauchos, uh, as expected, and then turn right around into a matchup that everybody knew was going to be a potential problem for them uh, with the Creighton Blue Jays. And sure enough, Grayson, Creighton brings the Bears' season to a close on Sunday with an 85-76 to win. Uh, there was a lot to you know unpack here, uh, but the gist of it was is that Creighton was you know red hot at times, could not miss a shot uh, offensively, just doing a, a lot of great things, and Baylor not able to match that uh, when Baylor uh, defensively just not very good, that rearing its ugly head. Uh, but it was kind of it was a situation where Creighton was hot, Baylor couldn't make a shot, Baylor could start get a little something going. Creighton still wouldn't miss a shot. <laughs> Baylor couldn't get anything going. Creighton would then not get anything going, and like, but they would they would always have an answer. Uh, Baylor could never like carve into that lead, and they certainly could never catch up and then try and take a lead of their own. Your thoughts on what you saw as we saw what is likely the last game for several players, whether that be uh, Keontae George. Uh, Although nothing official, we do know that was the last time we've seen Flo Thamba, for example. What about Adam Flagler? What about LJ Cryer? All of that we'll we'll find out in the coming weeks and months. But your thoughts on 
what we have seen for the final time, and that is this version of Baylor basketball. Yeah, so I guess first, you know, the UC Santa Barbara game, it was great to see Everyday John, Caleb Lohner, and Dale Bonner have such great games off the bench, especially Caleb Lohner, because he's gotten, you know, a lot of criticism, and, you know, he hasn't played very well this year. So he deserved all the criticism he got, but he played great in that game. And so just wanted to start with that because I feel like he needed a shout-out. He played awesome, was a true difference maker in that game. And then, of course, LJ Cryer and Adam Flagler played great to end that one. Um, but looking into the Creighton game, you know, this was one of those games where Baylor's start to the game defensively led to Creighton's outburst on the offensive side in my eyes. So I felt like they left some guys open for Creighton. They hit some threes. They got some momentum. And then it felt like they got the confidence that they were going to make every shot they took, if that makes sense. Because if you watch that game, there were a lot of times Baylor was playing really good defense, making extra efforts, getting a hand up, and it didn't matter. But I think the problem was when you start a game and you're giving up too many open looks, you give the other team confidence to go make those shots. And so I think that's kind of what you saw. I mean, when you look at Ryan Nemhard and Trey Alexander, they just dominated that game. They had 47 points, seven assists, three steals, 10 rebounds between the two of them. They were both uh, combined 16 for 16 from the free throw line. Um, so those two guys really killed him. And I think going into the game, everyone thought that Ryan Kalkbrenner would be the guy that would kill Baylor, and he really didn't. He had 10.7 rebounds. Uh, he also had a uh, NCAA record for five flops in a game uh, by my count. But yeah. he was flopping all over the place. But it really does look even more ridiculous horrible. when you see it put together and just you know, like a you know 30-second clip, and it's just flop, flop, flop from the biggest dude on the court. I mean, I understand the strategy, but it does – it just looks so – Silly. And it just seemed like Ryan Nemhard, for instance, I mean, he was 8 of 13 from the floor, 4 of 6 from 3. He had 30 points, a very efficient 30 points, and they just made shots. They shot 47% from the game, but the bigger numbers are they were 46% from 3. They made 11 of them, and then they were 22 for 22 from the free throw line. Super impressive, and honestly, if you had told me that going into the game, I would have said Baylor's probably going to lose by 20 if they're giving up those kind of numbers to this Creighton team. Uh, So I I give Baylor a lot of credit for sticking in this game, and I will also say, you know, there was a call late in this game. I don't usually say much about officiating. I felt like the game was fairly evenly called for the most part, but that last call with, I believe, a minute 45 left, Baylor was down 9 and LJ Cryer came off a screen from Josh O and hit a three that would have cut it to six. They called a moving screen. I am sorry, but you could have sat there and called 25 moving screens throughout that game, and you decide that one that basically was the deciding factor in that game. as far Not deciding factor, but it kept from Creighton really having to sweat at the end of the game. You cut it to six with that much time left, at least there's some anxiety building, and there's some, you know, You might get a little nervous, start turning the ball over, getting loose with it a little bit. Um, I just felt like that call was absolutely absurd um, for a game where there were a million moving screens. Like, both teams were running pick and roll the entire game. So, uh, that was a huge call, and I I felt like one that I definitely needed to address. But in general, LJ Cryer played great. He had 30 points. He'll be back next year. He'll be, in my eyes, a first-team All-Big 12 preseason performer, and I think he's going to have a fantastic season next year. He was awesome. Jalen Bridges was solid as well, and so was Adam Flagler. Uh, But at the end of the day, it just simply wasn't enough uh, to overcome what yeah. they gave up defensively. Yeah, I mean, just uh, give Creighton a lot of credit, you know. I mean, Baylor had some good moments, as you pointed out, uh, and even when they did play good defense, it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. Creighton still had shots fall. When they didn't play good defense, well, it got exposed even further and uh, just could never grab onto a lead. Their only lead of the game uh, occurred very early on with 17.09 left in the first half. So, like, those first couple minutes, they were able to grab a three-point lead. Uh, but Creighton, their biggest lead, they were up by 18 at one point with a little less than six minutes to go in the game. And as you mentioned, Baylor able to whittle that down and just not ever able to just cross that one line needed to get into uh, into taking over that lead. And so they fall in the round of 32 uh, for the second year in a row, and that will disband this particular group. You said LJ Cryer will be back with a bit of conviction, so that's... I believe uh, he'll be back. Okay. I, I just, I, I mean, 
I love LJ, and I think he's a fantastic college basketball player, but just being realistic, he it it's going to take a lot for him to become a pro, so I don't see why he wouldn't come back, try to work in the point guard position more because he had to play off ball a lot this year because Flagler was their point guard. I think he could be their starting point guard next year, even though he's great off the ball as well. Uh, but in general, I, I do think he'll be back, whereas on the flip side, I, I don't think Keontae George and I don't think Adam Flagler will be back. That's just kind of where my mindset has been all year. Yeah, I mean, that's that's your opinion, and I just am a little bit more hesitant for anybody these days in the era of NIL because you just don't know who's going to try to come calling for guys and, oh, well, that, that doesn't happen. Oh, yeah, it absolutely does. Um, and I think that LJ will get some phone calls. Now, whether he you know gets an offer or takes up people on their offers or anything like that or wants to stay at Baylor obviously everybody would embrace him with open arms and he's got great relationships and all that so that'd be uh, amazing but yeah I mean this roster is going to undergo a makeover uh, that's going to be pretty extreme uh, because there's you know definitely some some pieces that were relied upon pretty heavily this year that um, are either for sure not going to be back or could possibly not be back so uh, that's going to be you know, fun and entertaining and probably in some ways there might be moments where it's not so entertaining because a guy might make a decision you don't necessarily like, but it will be a fascinating experiment to watch them try and, and piece together what they want this roster to look like and take the lessons learned from this year and kind of some of their deficiencies. You know, obviously defensively they need to get better. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's very clear, but where else do they kind of see what they put together this year and how do they, you know, we want these ingredients still, but we need to have a little more pepper rather than so much uh, salt or, or whatever. Right. Uh, that's going to be fun to watch. Good news is, you know, they're getting Jacoby Walter, a top 20 player in the country. He'll come in, and he's different than Keontae as far as he's longer, he's taller. Um, not quite the creator that Keontae is, but probably a better catch-and-shoot guy at this point in his career. So he's going to come in, fit in seamlessly with this roster, in my opinion. Then you also have Miro Little, who could come in and compete for the point guard role. And then if uh, Eves Missy does reclassify, which I'm expecting him to, he could come in right away and compete for starting time at the center position. Um, and then we'll just see how the development of Josh O and Everyday John goes. Plus, uh, the hope is, I think, for most people that Jalen Bridges comes back. I yeah. think that would be pretty big for them as well, With um, along with, of course, LJ Cryer and potentially Dale Bonner as he got to see his minutes climb late in the year. But you're right. There, there's going to be a lot of differences between this team a year from now, but I think there's going to be definitely, I think, a mindset by Scott Drew and the staff to get back to where they were defensively. I, I think that's pretty clear. Just at times, they hemorrhage points this year. They're outside the top 100 in defensive rating, according to Ken Palm. That's just inexcusable, to be honest, and that's not something that this staff has really ever built their program around. So I expect that to change going into next year, and I think they have the pieces coming in and potentially coming back while also adding some transfer help uh, that could lead this team to being even better next year, even though they were pretty dang good this year. Yes, uh Jonathan Chama Chachua, you would think, would get healthy uh, over the course of the we'll next see. few months. Yeah. You would hope so, at least. Uh, certainly not going to be as much of a pinch to get back as he was uh, this year. Clearly never got to his full 100% self. Uh, I feel like kind of the things that people worried about that could eventually catch up to this team just caught up to them. You know, shots weren't falling, uh, at least at enough of a regular pace to match what Creighton was doing defensively. You know, give them some credit. You played good defense, and it didn't matter at times, but when you also didn't play good defense, uh, they took advantage of that, and we, we, I just always kind of looked at it as the old Baylor football. Like, when you're hot and you're scoring, man, and you're on fire, like you can play with anybody to a degree, but, you know, as long as you play a bit of defense, but if your shots aren't falling and the other team can't miss and you're not playing good defense, I mean, grab all the boards you want and whatnot, but you got to put the ball in the hoop and stop the other team from doing that, and they just couldn't do that really either one of those effectively it's, enough against Craig. Yeah, it's the easy bucket problem. Yeah. They had this all year. None of their shots were easy buckets. They were having to go one-on-one a ton. They were having to create shots on the perimeter, and then you look at Creighton, and it's like, oh, they still have Kalkbrenner who's getting them easy buckets. They were getting to the free-throw line, still getting layups. Um, that's something that Baylor definitely needs next year. More easy shots, more layups, more dunks, and then that leads to more open three-pointers instead of having to go one-on-one so much. But uh, you're right, it caught up to them. They, they had five assists in this game, Craig, five. 
And that just speaks to how one-on-one this team had to be in this game and in general. Now, I will say, that's how Baylor was going to win this game because they had Kalkbrenner in drop coverage. So the middle of the floor was wide open for floaters, mid-range jump shots, three-pointers off the high pick and roll. Um, So I get that's how they attacked him, but still, you got to get some layups. You got to get some easier buckets than what they got. Definitely. This uh, year in total. Yeah, 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 just in general, and uh, that was not the case, and that is why bags have been packed and they've made their way back to Waco uh, to say goodbyes and start the transition period of going from the 22-23 team to now what will be the 23-24 team. Um, But I would imagine everybody going to take a little bit of a much-deserved break and catch their breath a little bit, maybe go on a little vacation. I don't know. The grind never really stops, uh, and there's a lot more basketball still to be played out with the Sweet 16. Uh, But Creighton, as a result, moves on to face Princeton, uh, the 15-seed Princeton. That kind of hurts a little bit more as well when you look at what you would have been seeing next, like a trip to the elite. Who knows? Princeton might have exposed them and – you know, ran him out the gym for all we know. But, I mean, you do look at that 15 and you go, well, there's a chance. You could have gotten into that, you know, Sweet 16 and then possibly an Elite Eight. But that will be Creighton and Princeton uh, in that south uh, part of the bracket coming up. Winner will meet either Alabama, the top seed, or San Diego State uh, for a trip to the Final Four. So that's where that stands. And, yeah, just a bummer, man. This is a really... A cool team on paper. They had a lot of great moments throughout the season. Um, And, you know, I think that for a lot of the people involved behind the scenes, like I saw some, you know, people put their little notes tweet out there and, you know, their their kind of sentimental, uh, I guess, recap of the journey that was just, uh, you know, completed. So a lot of basketball staff and peripheral people, like, talking about what a great group this was. And it's sad anytime something comes to an end. And certainly as we've mentioned now multiple times this roster and this team will look different next year like the staff may be different next year for all we know the staff was different this year compared to last year at this time in a major way and congrats to Jerome Tang uh, and his Kansas State Wildcats who are into the Sweet 16 as uh, their their fun ride continues joined by Texas as far as the Big 12 schools uh, that are still alive in the Sweet 16 Uh, but just what's your sort of look back uh, when somebody says you know years down the line of what did you think of that 22-23 Baylor team with Keontae George and Cryer and Flagler and Bridges and Flo and, uh, you know, Everyday John? And what will be your, your kind of look back on this squad? Yeah, I think it's just a team that was tantalizingly special at times. And you saw glimpses of a team that could win a national championship because of this high-powered offense. But then it's just also a team that failed to meet expectations. And I, I think that it's fair to say both. And in general, yeah, three seed's not bad. You know, that's a good year. Um, losing in the round of 32 to a Creighton team that is good, not great, um, that hurts a little bit. And, and I also think that there's expectations with this program now. And when you win a national championship, those expectations become fair. And to me, two years in a row losing in the round of 32, I know North Carolina made a national championship, but still losing in the round of 32 is not really acceptable for this program anymore. And I just think that's where they're at now. And so, again, very talented, special group offensively, but they failed to meet the expectations of in the national picture, uh, how they finished the season, where they got in the tournament. Um not great. And I think the way they ended the year with all how they played at the yeah. end of the year is probably the most troubling part that I'll remember about this team. Yeah, I mean, certainly exits occurring earlier than you wanted them to is going to happen. You know, you coach for 20 years as Scott Drew, you're going to win the big one potentially. And some guys coach for far longer and never do. He's accomplished that, thankfully. Obviously wants to win more than one. Um, but, you know, you're constantly battling for the Big 12, and that wasn't as much of a case this year. You weren't really in the mix at the very end like you typically have been. That's going to happen. Like, you know, it's it's hard to be Duke, you know, in every year, year after year, or teams of that nature and be competitive. But, um, yeah, I think that just what you want to be wary of is if, you know, a couple years from now you're going, well, that's four straight losses in this, you know, like you don't want that to build up to where that, then that becomes a thing. And Scott Drew's had plenty of things, you know, during his career, like can't do this or haven't done that or whatever, and has climbed the mountaintop and kind of shut that up. But it is reality that just because, you know, you win – 
at a certain level, at a certain point, is the expectations don't just stop after that. Right. <laughs> like, they just grow larger, and that's the, the catch-22 of success. And so, yeah, now there are a certain level of expectations, and to bow out in the second round two years in a row, given the NBA talent, and I know this isn't the NBA, this is college basketball, but given the investment and just, you know, like you said, expectations, it is disappointing, but this was a fun team with some good players and certainly some guys to look forward to next year. So men's basketball season is over in the round of 32, uh, courtesy of the Creighton Blue Jays. We'll see how they do moving forward. Uh, As I mentioned, Princeton up next for them uh, as they try to book a spot in the Elite Eight. Uh, Meanwhile, women's basketball season also over. This was a a big uh, week of uh, ending in terms of hoops, um, you know, for both teams. And uh, give women's basketball a lot of credit, man. You know, I know that it's uh, also a program with a lot of expectations, so you don't want to necessarily, like, celebrate every first-round tournament win as though you've raised a trophy or anything. But I just feel like sort of with the vibes around the program, just any tournament win they can get is a good thing. And certainly you want them to, to keep adding on to that. It's not going to be, you know, the – acceptable level of success of just every year suddenly like just win a first round game and you're good like that's not going to be the case but for this team this year I think that given who you ran into last night it was understandable given where you were seated that you're probably going to run into a team like a UConn or as we thought before the tournament started when they were possibly going to be paired with South Carolina the writing was on the wall it was just a matter of when you know, the period would be put on the end of the sentence. Well, that was in the round of 32 as well. Uh, The Baylor women, though, let's start off with their first-round tournament game, which normally wouldn't be as widely celebrated, but the way that it unfolded, uh, it was a bit miraculous, quite frankly, down 22-4 to in the first quarter uh, against the Alabama Crimson Tide. They were the higher seed. It was a 7-10 matchup. But after that first quarter, I mean, woof. Alabama couldn't miss. Baylor couldn't get a stop. They couldn't make a shot. They were down 18, and you're just like, oh, my God. I was sitting there thinking, like, this is one of those that I, I'm going to, like, avoid the message boards for about a week after this one, <laughs> like, going nowhere near the women's basketball thread. I can only imagine the carnage in there uh, if they, you know, keep up at this pace. But sure enough, in the remainder of the game, uh, Garrett, they scratched – fought, clawed, they played some defense, they started hitting some shots from uh, beyond the arc, uh, huge game from Jamie Asbury, uh, just an incredible comeback effort against Alabama to win that opening round game. No, it really was, man, and it was impressive to see them, the, the shots really start falling, I think kind of figuring out how you could guard Brittany Davis and slow her down was really beneficial, and any time that you have a record pace from beyond the arc, and when you have defensive effort from a person like uh, Sarah Andrews, who was able to you know, even when she wasn't getting her shot, she was able to cause havoc on the inside and have a record night uh, recording blocks. But man, it was uh, it was nice to see the them kind of challenge and embrace the adversity, overcome that, and then I mean, just you get. I think it really goes back to when you hit fourteen threes mm-hmm. and you're on fire the way they were. You're going to win a lot of games, but I, they could have easily you know thrown in the towel after that first quarter. But you know, hats off to Coach Dickie Collin and that staff for rallying the troops getting their minds right, and they're just kind of persevering through the end. They yeah. did. 78-74. They come back down 18 after the first frame and end up winning by four. Uh, pretty fun turnaround. And I can only imagine, I kind of said this in the good, the bad, the ugly, of how many people watched like the first 15 minutes are like, all right, I'm going to go watch something else or click it off and then come back later on, look at their phone later, and they're like, wait, what? Double take majorly because – uh, I don't think anybody thought they were winning that game after the first uh, frame, Grayson. No, no one thought they were going to. And, you know, Garrett mentioned anytime you hit 14 threes, you know, that's a great sign. Well, Alabama also hit 14 threes. So both these teams were extremely hot, but you're exactly right. I mean, 22 to four in the first quarter for them to turn around and just say, hey, you know what? We're going to continue competing. We're going to try our best to get back in this game. And that's exactly what they did. Um, very impressed by this effort. Uh, we talked about it last week. We expected them to lose to UConn so the second game really not surprising at all Um, but this first game showed a lot of heart and once again you know I got asked this question about Baylor women's basketball in my chat this week you know about expectations did they meet expectations this year and I think the record the end result no they didn't everyone was expecting them to do better and be better but They lost Edwards and Blackwell, who, in my eyes, if you look at what they did at their previous schools at Kentucky and Missouri, respectively, 
they were going to be their two best players. And I don't know how many women's basketball teams in the country could withstand losing their two best players and be really, really good. And if you go look at their schedule, they competed in a lot of games this year. There were a lot of coin flip games where those two would have mattered a ton. And in my eyes, this probably would have been a two, probably right around flirting with a two seed had those two not gotten, um, you know, ineligible and hurt Um, because Blackwell got hurt. Edwards just never got eligible. But I just think that's so important when you put in perspective this season, because I do believe that if you look at the makeup of this roster, those two were exactly what this roster needed. And so I think Nikki Collin built a roster that was built to win And they just got unlucky with injuries and the eligibility problem with Edwards. And so I just think it's one of those situations where um, people need to put that in perspective because, frankly, it matters a ton, and not a lot of programs in the country could have survived that. And they still were a seven seed, made it to the round of 32. Yeah, I mean, it just can become a thing, kind of like I said with, you know, the men's side of things. It's like, hey, it's it's understandable you're going to bow out at a certain point. You're not going to always get to the Sweet 16. There's a reason they hang those banners. It's a special thing to reach that point. You know, it's not like just a, a layup. Um, but this was understandable to an extent. You just got to be careful if you're Nikki Collin of, like, it can't be, uh, oh, well, this happened and then that happened. It's like, you no, know, at some point you just got to put it together. And it's only year two, but you're right. This year you can't fairly tell the story without mentioning like oh yeah there was a couple of pretty big missing pieces to what they were trying to do but next year like you do have to get to a point where you know there's not like a yeah but you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. um but this year you're absolutely right if you want to judge them fairly then yeah absolutely but with that said next year no matter what there are going to be huge expectations because your roster is going to be very loaded for what you're trying to accomplish and so i'm sure they know that and, and that will be fun to see them having those expectations on their shoulders uh, next year. But next year is now the focus because, as we kind of alluded to, uh, the season is, uh, and have mentioned outright, the season is over because after that opening round win, they did turn around uh, the draw being the UConn Huskies in stores, Connecticut of all places. So double whammy there. Uh, Admirable effort. Uh, But, uh, you know, by halftime, you could kind of start to see where this was – very slippery, uh, you know, trying to stay close with UConn. And sure enough, that second half uh, got outscored by 14 points, end up dropping the game 77 to 58. Uh, but, Gary, your thoughts on kind of just what we're talking about here as far as, you know, the expectations. And you've been the one that's mm-hmm. you've been hammering home of, like, this isn't the complete roster. But just your thoughts on the game last night. Um, you know, great effort. Saw a lot of people online. It's like they were doing their best to hang in there. <laughs> But UConn's UConn as well. Um, so your thoughts on the end of the road uh, and also the future ahead? Uh, look, man, I think there's going to be a lot of hope and promise for this team. I'm really excited to see how they handle the offseason. I think last night, though, that you knew what you were going to get from UConn. You're running into a buzzsaw. Uh, and Baylor come out and they threw a, their best punch, right? You know, they, they come out, they got a shot on them in the first quarter. I think they kind of stunned UConn a little bit. And I, I don't think the Huskies at all were expecting that lead. But when you got into the second quarter, and I feel like the tide really turned when uh, there was a foul called on Jamie Asbury. They had to go to the monitor. You look at it, it's intentional, and then kind of UConn just pulled away from there. They get a a half-court shot at the buzzer, and right as you're heading into halftime, stole all the momentum, and then AZ Fudd just lit them up in the third quarter. But I think what you saw throughout the tournament is um, you saw that Jaden Owens had the ability to score. And she had the ability to score at a high level. Where that was all year on a consistent basis is the big question. And I'm ex- interested to see if she gets in the gym and how she can make what you saw from a scoring aspect in the tournament the regular night in and night out next year because I think that's going to be crucial to their success. Um, I know there was talk with Sarah Andrews after the game about she had been dealing with some plantar fasciitis and things but she she wasn't like offensively up to her caliber but she was making up for that on the defensive end and then Darion a little page bugs is a, a player who all year long 
I don't think anybody was expecting a freshman to come out and play the way she was di- way she did, uh, and rightfully so earned freshman of the year in the Big Twelve. She got banged up against Alabama. She hurt her fingers, and then last night I think you kind of saw that carry over. She was able to make some plays, but her effectiveness wasn't up to her caliber. And UConn was just so much more aggressive on the inside. It took advantage of that. Uh, I think they have a lot of talent coming back. I'm interested to see how they address the portal and how you go about replacing a Caitlin Bickle. I know obviously, like I mentioned, Bugs and Bella Fontleroy are going to keep growing and, and do their thing, but if Baylor can attack the portal and find one more you know, key, I would say like a forward, like a fringe player that could do bang on the inside and take care of shots on the outside and kind of just be that, um, that Mark Vidal-esque for the men's national championship team, this is going to be a really dangerous program next season. Do you think that Edwards or Blackwell, I feel like... I feel like Edwards probably is that person. Is that role, right? Because yeah. so the more that I look at it, I think they're going to need someone who can consistently provide scoring on the perimeter. True. Because I, I, I like Fonteroy, I like Little Page Bugs, and I think Edwards and Blackwell have proven to be elite rebounders for their size. I mean, both both of them, they they board. Right. And so I just I, I think this team is set to be very, very good. If they can find one just score, a oh, really good score, I, I they're gonna be tough. And, and they would have been tough this year, which is the hardest part for me that I hope people understand that and look into that. I agree, Craig. Eventually, you know, those excuses aren't gonna matter. But I would tell people, you know, even if you looked in the past at Kim Mulkey, like if she lost her two best players for an entire season. It, they weren't winning a championship sure. without their two best players. Like, but they also weren't bowing out in the round of thirty-two. That was uh, the, you without know. their two best players. Like, if Griner and Odyssey Sims were not playing on that team, I, I don't. I mean, I no. mean, if they're facing UConn, yeah, but they're also we're dealing with like what a two or three seed at worst versus like a seven seed in this case. That's what I'm saying. Is that just again, if they were out for the entire year, I don't know that they're getting. A I understand, two seed, but I'm, just, I'm what I'm saying is is. Next year, if there's yeah. injuries again, okay, that's fine. But at some point, You're right. they don't matter. You're just mm-hmm. going to have to win. So right now, it's fine. I understand the you know the reasons why, but what I'm getting at is that year three and year four, it's like, okay, we get it, but just you got to go win regardless. And, and I understand that it health matters, but does, it, does that yeah, make sense? No, it does. Yeah. Like you And the other thing, you know, Kim had already won a lot of games. So right. if she did have a bad year, it didn't really matter. But for Nikki, she needs to have that statement year where they put it all together, make a Final Four run, be a one seed, like get back to that. So, yeah, I understand all of that because you got to build yourself cushion by winning games. Right. And, and so, yes, totally agree with that. But they are set up really well, and mm-hmm. their future does look bright. Now it's just making sure that you put on the court. So, yeah, completely agree. Uh, I just don't want people to get caught up with – disappointing season too much when you look at how the roster was supposed to look like yeah no and that's that's what I said at the very beginning like you gotta if you want to tell the story and be fair about the way that you tell the story like absolutely you have to mention that part of it but also know that expectations aren't going to just ride on how healthy you are at all times like at some point if it was football and Dave Aranda and he had a major injury that'd be one thing for one year or a couple years but like the third year and the fourth year it's like all right you got to find a way around you know what I mean like you got to find your way around that and and still find ways to win games and they did a good job in finding ways to win games this year without some stellar pieces so that's great to build off of they should have an excellent roster next year and again that should lead to very high expectations regardless of you know, who's in, who's out, or what have you. But you expect this thing to keep building. I think they took a positive step forward in that regard next year. But now the expectation for this program, and I know from Mac Rhodes, is for this thing to keep building. So um, we'll see how they do that and how they go about that. But I do think it was a positive year overall. And uh, they also see their uh, season end in the round of 32. So that's basketball season for you. And now uh, both will take a – imagine a bit of a break and then – uh, get back to work on the recruiting trail and and roster construction and workouts and all of those different types of things. But uh, men's and women's basketball, each exiting in the second round. Meanwhile, uh, today it's a bit cold and rainy, but Baylor football will be back on the practice field or in the indoor. I would imagine probably mostly in the indoor unless the sun comes out here in a little while. I don't think you want guys running on wet grass the very first day of practice, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know how Vic Valoria and Dave Arand and all the rest of the staff will handle that, but football is back. And so uh, let's just, uh, I guess, kind of loosely get into uh, this, you know, 
look on the next few weeks. I don't want to do full-blown position-by-position preview, partially because we've got this to talk about for the next month. So I blow it all out in the very first mm-hmm. you know, day of practice when we can get into running backs by group and defense by group and things like that over the course of the next you know, four shows or so. And obviously, the entire rest of the offseason, we've got all summer to talk about this, but just for starters, a, a sampler course, an appetizer, uh, what are you eyeing and thinking about as Baylor football gets back to the grind and gets back on the field and gets to preparing for the 2023-24 season? Yeah, you know, I think what we probably need to start with is just can this group come together in a way that last year's group could not? And I think that starts in spring football, you know, with everything Dave Randa said about, you know, the locker room and just kind of the the lacking of leadership and just a lot of things like that that popped up during the season. Um, can this team get back to being where they were in 2021 um, from a leadership standpoint, from a mentality standpoint, as far as, hey, you know, we went six and seven last year. Let's not do that again, and let's turn this around. And I think they brought in a lot of leaders from the transfer portal, which should help when you look at the Barrington brothers and um, Mike Smith out of Liberty. They brought in old guys, you know, guys who can come in and be leaders immediately. And I think that's going to be so important and one of the biggest things to follow this spring because, frankly, uh, I think that's more important than what they specifically get from their position groups. They, this group just needs to come together and be playing with um, a lot more joy this season, I think, than they did a year ago. And so I think getting back to spring football will be a great opportunity for them to kind of get closer uh, to that point. Yeah, last year was miserable, man. I mean, it was, I mean, maybe miserable is too harsh a word, but I don't know about you guys, but last year was not fun to, to follow. Nope. No, I mean, it was, and you kept waiting for, like, a start to the fun, and you kept, and, like, maybe there were moments, like, the Texas Tech win was a big deal, because they really needed that, and it was kind of a statement of, like, hey, look, we're not just going to be bullied, you know, we're not just going to be pushed to the side, Um, and so there were, you know, games like that, there was, there was getting bowl eligible, and, you know, like, this is kind of what I'm saying with, with the women's basketball side, like, that's not the benchmark, you know, like, no matter how bad the chemistry was or the quarterback play or your injuries, like Dave Aranda's bottom line expectation is to make a bowl game. You know what I mean? So like if Blake Shapin gets hurt or Sawyer Robertson or whoever it is, like that doesn't mean the expectation dives down. That still means like you've got a, you know, still a ceiling that you need to hit or get close to. And so, um, you know, celebrating a bowl game just felt like, Really, is that what we're gonna like? That's the the most we got out of that, and then that turned out to not be a fun affair at all. No. That turned out to be a quite miserable but very fitting ending to the season. It just never got going. I, I don't know how else to to really explain it. If you weren't watching it unfold, you were just ready for this team to like hit the start button and and go on their way, and you know start zooming off. And they just were kind of in neutral at all times, and you couldn't get too excited about them. You could get down in the dumps and then they'd play hard and get a win. And it's just, it's very strange just the entire year. And we all knew that something was weird about it and we just couldn't put our finger on it. Turns out that, yeah, there's chemistry issues. There was, you know, coaching chemistry issues. There was obviously a lot of change after this season, uh, whether it was, uh, you know, deemed necessary or whether it was a byproduct of having to replace guys who decided to go elsewhere. Uh, But regardless, it was a season that by the end of it, I think everybody was just like, oh, thank God, like it's over. And that's never how you want uh, a season to feel. Even if you're not competing for a playoff spot or a conference championship, like you still want to feel like you enjoyed it. And I don't think a lot of people really enjoyed last year. So uh, hopefully – there's a little bit of a rub from the basketball team, a little bit of that culture of joy, if you will, uh, that has you know entered the the football offices this off season. Uh, everybody seems to be happy. Matthew Powage is back. There's been coaching changes, roster turnovers. You mentioned you know dipping heavily into the the transfer portal. So um, I'm very curious to just kind of see, and we won't know just based off of today or even off of spring ball. But I'm very curious to see if some of those issues have been you know, uh, solved. They've certainly been addressed, but is there a noticeable difference when you watch them out there? Um, you know, time will tell all the way into next season is a long way away, but I think we'll get a hint of kind of, 
just the feeling, the spirit around the program during these uh, spring practices. Yeah, and you mentioned, you know, the the coaching staff turnover. Uh, Matthew Pallage coming in for Ron Roberts, Christian Robinson also coming in um, to replace Ron Roberts at the linebacker spot. Ronnie Wheat's gone. Um, and then, of course, uh, Juice. Juice Johnson's mm-hmm. gone. A.J. Stewart comes in. So a few coaching changes. Uh, the Pallage one, the most notable. Uh, they really need to turn things around defensively. And you know Dave Aranda was going to focus on that. He I doubt he sits in his office and is very happy watching film from last year and watching what happened to the defense. They just really struggled uh, at a lot of points last season. So seeing them get back to that is going to be important. I think you're going to see a defense that relies more on athleticism than they did a year ago. I think you're going to see a defense that moves guys around. I think, you know, like adding Kyan Roberts Day to the defensive side. I think that's a brilliant move. Jackie Marshall moving on the defensive line. They need more depth there. That makes a lot of sense. Potentially moving Bryson Jackson to the star position, getting another leader on the field, and putting him maybe in uh, more of a position to succeed if he does end up at that spot. Um, And then cornerback, they went out, got Isaiah Dunson. I think they're trying to get more physical on the outside at the cornerback spot. They played a lot of... um, Coverage that was very soft last year, and I don't think they're going to do that in Matthew Pallage's scheme. I think they're going to be much more physical uh, at the defensive back position, whether it's safety or cornerback. So excited about that. Um, you know, there's a lot of overhaul on the offensive line, so we're definitely going to be looking at that. They're going to have to replace, you know, the entire unit. So a lot of work to do there. Good start by bringing in the Barrington brothers. Gavin Byers is still there. So I think those three you can pretty much pencil in to some sort of starting role. Going to have to figure out the depth in the other two spots as well. But I think in general, you know, figuring out how these transfers fit in, um, seeing how big of leaders they are, I I think all of that is going to fit into this puzzle this spring. And then, of course, everyone's going to ask and talk about Blake Shapin versus Sawyer Robertson. We're going to talk about that ad nauseum, I think, throughout the spring. Um, And I'm expecting a great competition that does not get solved in the spring. I think this goes all the way through the fall. I just don't see them making a, a decision early like they did a year ago. I think in Gary's case, that was a very specific situation where uh, they wanted to give Gary an opportunity to go somewhere else. He was an older guy. This situation feels very different than that. Um, just from my vantage point. Uh, but I'm expecting Shapin to get pushed. I think going into spring, he's the odds-on favorite to be the starting quarterback to begin the season next year. Uh, but I do think Sawyer is going to be competing all through the spring and fall, and that obviously can change on a dime, especially in the spring game, as we saw last year and the year before when Gary took the job over and Blake Shapin took the job over in two consecutive springs. We might see that again from Sora Robertson, or Blake Shapin will continue to progress and uh, become a better player than he was a year ago. Certainly, uh, some have already gone out on that limb and predicted Sawyer Robertson to be the starting quarterback next year. I believe you're one of them, right? That what? Sawyer Robertson will be the starter next year? I think he will be the starter at some point. Okay, I some don't point. know that I believe he'll be the starter game one. Okay. I don't know that I can go quite that far Good yet. Good to have some clarification. I know there are others, however, that oh, yeah. will go out on that limb, and some who believe that, yeah, if it doesn't happen right away, like Grayson will happen at some point. I haven't quite decided where I sit on that just yet, but there's no rush because, as you mentioned, I don't think that there is any – uh, decision that's going to be made. If there is, and that tells you something, that tells you that somebody clearly won that job, like so emphatically that they decide, you know what, screw the next seven months of mm-hmm. waiting till the season starts. We're going to go ahead and just name this person right now. I think that would be as telling of, of a sign as anything uh, if that were to occur, which is not what either of us expect to happen. But, yes, the quarterback competition will probably be the most talked about story throughout the entire spring um, ad nauseum is a good way to describe it. Um, so no need to really dive into that, but that will be something obviously that uh, everybody is keeping a close eye on. Yeah. And one thing to mention, I mean, Shapin got hurt last year. Gary got hurt the year before. Like both these guys are probably going to have to play regardless of right. who is technically well, the starter. Or not. Go farther back with Baylor just any year. I mean, sure. I there's mean, yeah. pretty much always two quarterbacks that have had to play. It's very strange how uh, much they've, suffered injuries at that position. I mean, Charlie Brewer was constantly week to week. Was a Will he play? Will he not play? Is he But somehow he, he played like, every, like in 2019, he played every game and it felt like he was hurt. It just was like, he's day to day. And then he played. It, it was pretty crazy. Yeah. I think 2018 McClendon played a little, a little but yeah. it, it was just for somehow he kept, 
starting these and games. And before that, Anu Solomon gets concussed like mm-hmm. right away, basically. Enter Charlie Brewer, and the rest is history there. Zach but, yeah. Smith, too. Zach got Smith hurt. got hurt. <laughs> Seth Russell got hurt. Bryce Petty yeah. got hurt. I mean, it was it was literally Chris every, Johnson. <laughs> every quarterback that mattered, and when they mattered, they, they got hurt uh, at some point, um, you know, when the spotlight was on them. So, yeah, I mean, you need to expect that somebody – other than just your starters going to have to play at some point. So quarterback, definitely the biggest storyline. Offensively, again, we got all spring to kind of break into every group, but you're returning a lot skill-wise, but offensive line, it's a major overhaul. So that will be a big project for Eric Mateos, Jeff Grimes, and the rest of that staff. Defensively, you lose your big nose tackle in Apu Ika, um, and you miss a, you know, a, a leader like a Dylan Doyle. Uh, but you also have brought in a lot of transfers because you clearly weren't totally satisfied with that side of the ball, and that is what your head coach is an expert at. So uh, replacing uh, Ron Roberts will definitely give them a different look. Um, so, yeah, quarterback spot, rehauling the uh, O-line, uh, two big, big stories, but then coaching-wise, you kind of touched on it there. Uh, running backs coach Juice Johnson now at Texas Tech uh, as the wide receivers coach and, like, de facto was an assistant or associate head coach. At Tech, yeah. yeah um, but A.J. Stewart comes over from Oregon State, uh, so he is your new assistant head coach and running backs coach. Also making the change, of course, at defensive coordinator as you bring back Matthew Pallage. Uh, after one year away as co-DC at Oregon, uh, he returns to now be your sole DC, replacing Ron Roberts, who went to Auburn to join Hugh Freeze's staff. Also, uh, with Roberts leaving, that opened up the inside linebackers spot, which Christian Robinson then took over. You mentioned him, uh, but he was previously with Auburn. Uh, so a lot of tie-ins there, but he was a part of the staff that was exiting, and Roberts a part of the, the new staff there in Auburn, Alabama. So, yeah, those are some of the new names to know on the staff side of things. Also, although Matthew Pallage uh, should be familiar uh, to everybody who's following and paying super close attention on the transfer side of things, just to give you a little rundown of how busy this has been this offseason, incoming players – uh, include uh, quarterback Sawyer Robertson from Mississippi State, the Barrington brothers, Campbell and Clark from BYU, uh, both on the O-line, Arkansas wide receiver Keetron Jackson, Oklahoma State running back Dominic Richardson, North Texas tight end Jake Roberts, Miami defensive back Isaiah Dunson, Liberty linebacker Mike Smith, and also Michigan State kicker Jack Stone also was uh, added this offseason. And Northern Arizona quarterback R.J. Martinez. And R.J. Martinez. and Jack Stone are both walk-ons. Yes. So, R.J. Martinez, glad you mentioned him as well. But, yes, also a walk-on. But he will, you know, you would think serve as your third quarterback uh, Mm -hmm. and be ready to go and probably should be ready to go because of what we just mentioned a few minutes ago. Uh, Meanwhile, departures. Uh, Al Walcott is off to Arkansas uh, as your you know starting corner and big time you know playmaker the year prior with a couple of you know obviously the big pick six in the Sugar Bowl was one of the, the lasting memories from Al Walcott, a uh, very talented player. He'll be joined by Lorando Snacks Johnson uh, at Arkansas as uh, another departure this off season. A guy who had a lot of potential but um, just culturally just needed to, to make a move there. So uh, Lorando and, and Walcott off to Arkansas. Uh, you also had Craig Squirrel Williams. No more questions about Squirrel because he is now playing football in Ruston with Louisiana Tech. Uh, that's where Squirrel lands. Devin Neal out the door. Defensive back now at Louisville, closer to home for the Kentucky native. Wide receiver Josh Fleeks after years, much like Squirrel, getting questions about where's Josh Fleeks? How's he going to be involved? Well, that's Matt Rule's problem to solve now as he is uh, enrolled at Nebraska. Quarterback Kyron Drones now at Virginia Tech. So uh, looking like he'll probably be the starter there. And uh, of course, you know, you've got a bit of a logjam. You knew something was going to have to give. Uh, with the quarterback spot, Kyron got his shot, or I guess competed for his shot. Finally had enough, saw the writing on the wall, I suppose, and decided he could get a better opportunity at Virginia Tech. Uh, Micah Mazuka on the offensive line uh, is now at Florida. Uh, Noah Rauschenberg also transferred. I don't know where did he end up. Did he ever end up anywhere? Didn't I'm see. Sure, uh, yeah. Safety Mike Harris uh, also never saw him end up anywhere. Uh, and then wide receiver Seth Jones uh, ends up at South Florida. So you brought a lot of guys in, 
but you had a lot of guys leave as well. So that's a that's a pretty long rundown of the incoming and outgoing just to show you how this roster has turned over in one year. Yeah, and I think we'll probably find out more today as far as guys who maybe aren't on the roster mm-hmm. for various reasons. We pretty much always find out new information heading into spring ball and then fall camp from the roster. So that'll add some more question marks and storylines as well. Um, I did get one question in the YouTube chat that I'll address really quickly. It was just, how is Baylor's mill linebacker position looking? Um, So they added Mike Smith out of Liberty. I'm expecting him to be a Mike linebacker uh, in the middle. Uh, But ultimately, I think their best uh, middle linebacker uh, is Josh White, the LSU transfer. He played a lot on special teams last year, but I, I think he's going to be a huge contributor this year. And really for this defense to reach its ceiling, they need someone like Josh White to really take a big step this spring and really just take over that role. Um, so that's kind of how they're looking there. Tyrone Brown is also kind of in the mix there as well, uh, but he's a little more versatile. He could play Will or Mike. Um, Josh could as well, but I think he fits in better at Mike. So that's kind of how they're looking at uh, at that specific position. Yeah, and, uh, you know, Josh White, I think just being from LSU and being um, a Dave Aranda guy, that you know, there are probably thoughts that he would be more impactful last year. I know certainly that was the expectation for some was that he'd, you know, come in and, and be more active and more involved. But uh, now I think, yeah, now your expectation is he will certainly need to be more involved given that you've uh, lost some guys and you need uh, a Josh White to step up and, and play a huge role for you. So I'm very interested to see that. I mean, there were other decisions made on this roster as well, whether by the player, by the coaches, what have you. I mean, I mentioned the incoming, outgoing, but that also included some decisions like Stain and uh, TJ Franklin should make mention. That was a big one this offseason, a guy who could have uh, moved on along and decided to return. Uh, that's huge, especially when you know you're already losing an Apu Ika. I mean, he's not going to fill that nose roll for you the same way, but just as far as your defensive line depth goes, not as much of an overhaul there as what you're going to have on the offensive side of the football. Uh, you'll miss Ika, no doubt about it, but uh, for the most most part, and you also, you know, Cole Maxwell finally moving on. So this is going to be a different looking team. Um, there's going to be some familiar faces, but they're going to be young faces for the most part. That now it's kind of their turn to step up and and play more prominent roles. Uh, so this will be uh, a big turning of the page, I think, in in a way for Dave Aranda because last year you had the moving away from the established veterans, the Jalen Petries, the JT Woodses, those guys who helped you win a title. Um, you had a lot of familiarity that had returned, but obviously just the chemistry wasn't quite there. Well, now, I mean, there's some familiar names, but there's no more Squirrel. There's no more, you know, Fleeks. There's no more, I mean, these guys who have been around for four or five years now, a lot of those guys are gone. Um, and, you know, there's, there's a bunch of new faces and a bunch of young faces. And so this will be, uh, fun and, and unique year in its own right. But the journey has already started, but officially spring football starting today, a little later on this afternoon. So we'll have plenty of coverage from that uh, coming up over these next few weeks leading you up to the spring game. We also know announced this past week that Pro Day will take place next Monday. Uh, and that will you know obviously feature Siaki Ika and also Connor Galvin. Those are the two guys you can pretty much circle as being uh, you know, locked in as far as draft picks go beyond that. Probably going to get some undrafted free agent guys. Probably going to get most of these guys in the USFL, XFL, eventually those those spots. But that's why it's good to have uh, back um, – uh, not back, but uh, have landing spots behind the NFL if uh, if you fall through the cracks there. So a lot to to unpack uh, ultimately over the next few weeks as far as the draft and, and all of that, but not a heavy, heavy class like Baylor had the year prior. So uh, Pro Day on Monday, what will be interesting about that is not only Eakin Galvin, but also a couple of players. They had a long list of guys for classes, probably only see two guys drafted. There's like 19 guys that are working out. And two of the names, very interesting, R.J. Sneed, after going to Colorado for a year and not really doing much out there, just missed out on playing for Dion. I'm sure he's kind of a little sore about that. But also Charlie Brewer will be back uh, in his old stomping grounds. So a couple of names from uh, the early days of Matt Rule that ultimately led Baylor to, to success a couple of years ago. Uh, they will be back on campus as well, so that'll be cool to see them in their old digs. Yeah, it definitely will. I posted that tweet about Charlie Brewer, and uh, it got a lot of uh, really harsh comments. And, I mean, I know that 
it's not very realistic. It's not realistic, really, that he's going to play in the pros. But for him to come back and throw up pro day, like, it makes a lot of sense for a lot of reasons. Baylor was his home. Baylor was a school that he committed to, played uh, the majority of his career at. So, you know, I just caution people, like, he still is one of the most talked about Baylor players of the last 20 years, and he's going to be talked about for a long time in the Baylor legacy. And so just, I, I don't know, maybe go a little bit easier on the guy. I don't know why... That's so toxic. I don't understand it. I mean, all the dude did was get concussed like, you know, week after week or get dinged up or get, uh, you know, just thrown to the wolves, uh, you know, every single week. And um, I don't know. I, I think that the vitriol there is just kind of bizarre at this point. I mean, the level of it, you would think that he'd gone off and like cursed everything about everything. Uh, mm-hmm. Green and gold are crappy colors and Waco sucks and, I hated my time there. Like you would think that he said all of those things based on the way some people talk about him. It's really strange, and I mean, I, I I didn't have any personal experiences. Maybe that's where some of that's coming from. But if your deal is like he just wasn't a good enough quarterback, and you hate him as a result of that, like I mean, ease up a little bit. That's just am I am I no, off no, here? I, think I just I think that's what I, that's exactly it's gotten to what a I'm point saying. where it's like, just it's, like weird. It's just weird to be that hateful towards a guy who did nothing but basically sacrifice himself and throw himself to the lions every week. But I don't know. He's a, a D to you in biology class or something. Maybe that's where it's coming from. I, I don't know though, but it's, it's gone to such an extreme over these last few years that welcome back, Charlie. Uh, thanks for what you did while you were here, and, and welcome back. Just like the same with RJ and everybody else who's come back at some point. So it'll be good to see those guys. Um, and the stuff that, that occurred, the successes, uh, just like the the non-successes, those things don't happen without guys like that that help lead the, uh, lead the way. I hope people realize that, that you know Gary Bohannon and Blake Shapin slipping into a Big 12 championship doesn't happen without – some guys along the way taking the the brunt of the the bumps and the bruises so you know that's uh that's just something I guess I'll disagree with people on but you know judge him as a player all you want to but the personal attacks on the guy and just the the hatred towards him is just really strange I don't I don't get it yeah Uh, so Craig a couple just since we're live right now a couple notes the roster got updated okay Um, so a couple quick notes on that um AJ McCarty uh listed at safety now uh, played right. cornerback last year for the Bears. Bryson Jackson listed on the roster playing safety this year. A lot of rumor oh, about okay. him playing star uh, this upcoming season. So that's kind of, I guess, closer to confirmed. Um, and obviously him coming back, no one really said an announcement or anything, but he is back on the roster. Uh, Gabe yeah, Hall. I mentioned that um, at some point, I feel like. We, that, you did, and we've yeah. all mentioned it, but it, remember they did the I thing with TJ where it was more of a bigger deal. Yeah, I think, yeah, than, yeah. Um, Gabe Hall also back on the roster uh, this upcoming year. A couple guys who are not seen on the roster. Tay McWilliams, um, mm-hmm. not on the roster. We'd kind of hinted at this uh, quite a bit on the board, but yeah, it, it looks like um, he he might retire, might have retired, um, not on the roster. Cisco Castan, not on the roster. Victor Obi, not on the roster, and Javon Gibson, not listed either. So there's a couple uh, news items. We'll see when we get the full roster. Uh, maybe there'll be a difference in the uh, handwritten one, but those are some of the ones really standing out. I already mentioned the move by Kyan Roberts Day and Jackie Marshall. They have Kyan Roberts Day listed defensive line. I still fully anticipate that he'll be uh, working out at Jack in the spring. Um, and then Jackie Marshall listed on the defensive line as well. Um, I think those are the main moves that I'm seeing on here. They have the freshmen listed um, and, of course, the transfers as well. But those were a couple of the, the main uh, news nuggets that I, I really felt like were important. All right, mention that again to Tay McWilliams, Javon Gibson. Cisco Castan and Victor Obi okay. are apparently not listed on the roster right okay. now. Okay, well, that's uh, something that we'll get more of. As you, as you mentioned, uh, get a release later today. Should have the nice printed out roster and can kind of compare back and forth what else, heights and weights and all those types of things as well. But yeah, Tay McWilliams, that shouldn't come as much of a surprise, uh, quite frankly, because of just the way last year unfolded. It was so strange to see him get dinged up against BYU, clearly had a head injury, but never returned. I mean, and that was... Was that week two? Yeah. Uh, last I'm year? I'm pretty sure he got another one in, like, practice. Probably, yeah. yeah. yeah it just was one of those things. But, yeah, yeah, I mean, those head injuries, you don't play around with those. And so that's really unfortunate. Um, and I'm sure we'll ask Dave Aranda at some point about that and get a bit more in-depth on why. Javon Gibson, that's 
Is that expected? Uh, for me, a little bit. Okay. Um, there's been some things I think going oh, on. Oh, some things. All right. That's like, yeah, okay. There, gotcha. There's just been some stuff, and so it's sad not to see him on the roster. To be honest, though. Um, yeah. So yeah. All right. Well, that's uh, that's disappointing because there's a guy that you thought could be a playmaker for you moving forward, and they certainly are in dire need of those, uh, as we saw last year. So yeah, Jalen Ellis still on the roster as well, which I think some people some might people were already reporting that he had transferred, him. and I was like, what? He yeah. has not officially transferred, and clearly he hasn't. He's on the roster. He's on the roster. I saw so. somebody. I don't remember when. At some point this offseason, somebody said, "Oh, Javon or Jalen Ellis transferred." I'm like, I don't think so. Yeah. Because um, I have an article ready to go for if he does, because right. that was the. The thought process, and he never did enter the transfer portal to um, the surprise of, I think, a lot of people. Yeah, another interesting one. Uh, Landry Kenny has moved to wide receiver as well. He was okay. a walk-on quarterback last year, so just a walk-on move there. I'm sure there's a few others that I'm missing, but off the top of my head, those are the ones that I've seen or seen posted about. All right, well. yeah. So that's uh, that's interesting, and we'll keep track of those names and get more of uh, of that as the spring goes along. Attrition, that is. Uh, so yeah, starting to get our first look, and uh, can't wait to see a thread at some point with all that put together, uh, mm-hmm. all the all the changes to make note of. All right, uh, so there's. A bit of a recap, preview, review of uh, pretty much everything that's going on. Uh, We're about on time, so let's hit these three questions we have uh, to close this on out. Billy21, other than the BYU transfers, what top linemen do you see emerging as hoags, as they are often called, rise to the fore to be formidable and become leaders? Uh, Lots of youngsters, but spring season will be very competitive. Aranda, like other coaches, believes that the O-line always leads – Sikkim Bears fans, be your best always. So uh, thank you, Billy21. Who else from the O-line will emerge, or do you see emerging? Yeah, I think Gavin Byers is one that I, I think will be a starter. Um, we'll see where he ends up starting at, but I, I do think he's probably got the inside track to be one of the guards, um, probably you know either the left or the right guard, I, I think, for him. I think you're going to see uh, Caden Siraki and Elijah Ellis battle for the right tackle spot. Both of them have been performing at a pretty high level uh, this spring, so I'm very curious going into spring camp if one of them can really seize control of that role. Um, Tate Williams, I was very excited about him as a recruit. Um, I think he could potentially take over a guard spot, and if not, then their incoming freshman who won't be here this spring, Sean Tompkins, I think is another uh, name to watch. Uh, George Maia as well, but those are just some of the names that I'm really uh, focusing on as potential starters. Just uh, tweeted this out. I want to know Sawyer Robertson wearing number 13. That is where he will start off with uh, his jersey number but uh yeah we'll get into those those are like the heights and weights everybody oh, yeah. what numbers are guys wearing but that could always turn into a single digit too mm-hmm. as well all right uh thank you for that billy scotty b what are your thoughts on the coach on a coach leaving a program at any university after one season i'm curious because i know west virginia lost their women's basketball head coach to minnesota after one season at wvu for a six-year deal at minnesota I mean, I think that it's fair game for coaches, and now it's fair game for players as well. So I think it should be the same thing. Um, Maybe there's a tie there to Minnesota that – uh, that specific coach. Garrett, Garrett, do you have something on that? She is a native of – uh, Michigan, so she's get, or Wisconsin, so she's going back to get closer to home. Yeah, and I mean that makes perfect sense. She was she grew up in Big Ten country, exactly. so get back to the Big Ten. Yeah, I, I don't have an issue with it. Yeah, I mean probably making more money, probably knows the recruiting areas better. There's a lot of reasons that can go into leaving after one year. Maybe you go somewhere and it sounds great, and you realize like you know what, I don't really love it here in Morgantown, or I don't really love this chemistry that I thought we were going to have. That's clearly not there. So. Yeah, there's a lot that can go into that. So, um, yeah, it just sounds like probably somebody going to uh, return closer to home with a better offer. And uh, I think everybody can understand that. Um, uh, He also says, I do want to explain why Baylor men's tennis is struggling so far this season. Besides the tough non-con schedule, Finn Bass is injured with a torn abs since mid-February, which has forced some players to move up a spot or two higher in singles and doubles. Plans to have him back by conference player during that time. Yeah, that's a huge loss for them. That has been massive and has led to a lot of their problems, along with, as he mentioned, their schedule has been just <laughs> insane. Yeah, what I write on Sunday, like 1-11 versus the top 25. Yeah, um, but and a lot of those are like top 
ten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty crazy. Very hard schedule, but certainly not having uh, your best is is going to have an effect as well when you're also playing a tough schedule. So a double whammy there. And I'm sure Michael Woodson will get it figured out. Okie Bear fan will wrap us up. 2021 football team built upon positives on the defensive side and fixed issues on the offensive side from the 2020 team. What do you see as the main good things the 22 team did that will be built upon going into 23? What will be the main 21 issues that you are confident in getting fixed in 23? Okay, let me start with the main 2021 issue that will be fixed in 2023. I didn't feel like their quarterback play was elite in 2021. I think it can get close to that. I know Gary was good. Gary was a great leader for them, but I think that position is going to be far better in 2023. Um, The main good thing in 2022 that can be built on in 2023, um, man, what was really good in 2022? Um, you know what I mean? <laughs> That's like, hard, isn't it? Hard to re- answer that in. Really good is a, is a very tough question. I, I thought they were good at running the football last year. I don't think they were as good as they were in 2021. They weren't even really close to what Abram and Ebner did. But I do think the 2022 team did still try to establish that. And they did have success. Richard Reese was very good as a true freshman. Um, And I think with the pieces that they've added to that position with Dominic Richardson, Richard Reese being a year older, Quaylen Jones developing, um, maybe Bryson Washington getting some run as well. I think that will be built upon and continue to be a foundation of this offense. Yeah. um, That's, that's a good way of looking at it. And yeah, there's, it's kind of hard when you started. What were the big positives out of 2022? That's yeah. what I was talking about earlier. That was just a tough season to watch maneuver its way uh, throughout the calendar. And um, just a very poor ending, very somber postgame. I mean, I remember, like it was yesterday, the freezing cold of Fort Worth, Texas, and just how like much of a just dud that did, uh, you know, on the end of the season. Um, so yeah, looking forward to seeing this new team out there and, uh, hopefully everybody's rejuvenated, rested and ready to go. Cause it's time to, to get back to it as far as on the fields for practice, a so spring football beginning later on the day, basketball season over for both the men and the women, a uh, big open, uh, big, big 12 opening series win for, uh, Baylor baseball, Baylor softball keeps moving along. And as we get further into spring, we can dive into those teams a, a little bit more. Um, although we are going to be very hot and heavy on spring football as we typically are around here. But Grayson, uh, before we go our separate ways and eventually head on out to Baylor here in a little while, anything before we go? No, just be sure to uh, check out Sikkim 365 Premium if you haven't already. We're going to have all kinds of news, notes, and coverage from spring football. So be sure to check that out for uh, the next month of coverage. And then, of course, uh, we'll have a lot of recruiting notes and updates leading into the summer as well. So uh, a lot of storylines even as basketball season comes to an end. Yes, indeed. Uh, Garrett Ross, as always, appreciate you. You can check out uh, his recap on the Baylor women. Their loss last night over on Sikkim365.com as well. But we'll be back, uh, as always, Monday through Friday at 3 o'clock for 365 Sports. And, uh, man, spring football has arrived while basketball season waves goodbye. So stay in busy. Stay tuned. Stay locked in. We'll talk to you uh, next time. Uh, this has been the BearCast on Sikkim365.com, 365 Sports.